This is KOOP HD1 HD3 Hornsby. Austin Chronicle Show. My name is Kim Jones and I am the editor of the Austin Chronicle, Austin's independent source of news and culture reporting since 1981. So I think a lot of readers don't realize that the Chronicle is actually a pretty small shop compared to a daily newspaper like the Statesman. They never guess that we actually only have about a dozen writers and editors on staff tasked with covering everything from the housing crisis, the latest city council meeting, the latest school board meeting, the newest development in the MLS, McCullough Place development, the newest draft of the land development code revision, and so much more. Okay, that's actually a trick question because at the Chronicle, there is literally one guy in particular covering all of those beats. And they're some of the biggest issues challenging the city today. His name is Austin Sanders, he's a staff writer at The Chronicle, and he's joining me today to talk about two things in particular. Uh, One is AISD's controversial school changes plan, which the the board voted to approve this week, and also allegations of racist and bigoted conduct within Austin police's ranks. So Austin, thank you for joining me. Hello, thanks for having me. Sure, you've had a busy week. Why don't we start with what is going on with the Austin Independent School District? Yeah, it, uh, it was an eventful uh, uh, Monday night at uh, the school board. <clears throat> the trustees voted um, to close down uh, four schools, four elementary schools uh, next year, despite really vehement uh, uh, opposition from uh, community uh, at these schools um, and uh, other people that have been you know, watching the issue. Um, the most surprising opposition, uh, or perhaps surprising in the way it was delivered, came from uh, Dr. Stephanie Hawley, who the district just recently hired um, earlier this summer as its first ever uh, equity officer. Uh, she really uh, grabbed headlines with the way that she uh, uh, condemned the school district's plan, um, you know, basically calling for them to uh, halt the closures take more time to listen to the community, uh, to find a more equitable way of uh, achieving uh, the district's goals. Um, and it was it was a really startling um, uh, statement that she delivered uh, at yep. the uh, boardroom. Let me interrupt you because I, I want us to, to highlight actually uh, some of what she said. Uh, her, her opening statement included, the map you have is a map of what 21st century racism looks like. We did not deliberately do that, but we did not disrupt history. Our process for selecting schools was flawed, was inequitable. That is an incredibly damning indictment from someone working within the system. You know, it was a, the call came from within the building type. Yeah, thing. that's that's something I really want to emphasize. How unusual it is to hear um, a staff person, whether it be at uh, the city or um, at the school district, basically say these kinds of things to their boss. Typically at these meetings, uh, staffers are very deferential. Um, uh, they kind of speak around criticism, talk about, uh, we have opportunities to improve in these areas. Uh, you very rarely hear such direct criticism. Uh, uh, typically you hear that from more um, uh, activists and public speakers uh, at these meetings. So to hear um, an executive level uh, staffer at the district say those quotes you just read it was it was really you know startling in the room uh uh, looking around at other district staff they weren't expecting her to say that other media in the room wasn't expecting her to say that so uh yeah it was it was something else 
But did not, I, I take it, have the intended No, it did not. In the end, the trustees voted uh, 6-3 um, to uh, uh, close the four schools. Um, some of the trustees have been on the board um, uh, for several years now, and uh, you know, privately they will say that these closures uh, have been um, looked at for a while. These schools, um, um, three of the four at least, uh, have been looked at for a while as a way to uh, uh, help a, an enrollment problem. The district has lost thousands of students uh, over the last several years, um, and it simply has uh, too many buildings uh, to match its student population. And so uh, it was a really tough vote. I don't think any one of them wanted to close these schools, uh, but some were more comfortable in acknowledging the fact that the closures, uh, from their perspective, had to happen. So three out of the four schools are situated on the east side of Austin, correct? That's right. Uh, Sims, Metz, and uh, Brook Elementary. Right, and, and Peace is the is the fourth school, and that is downtown. Right. Yeah, and Pease is, is a really interesting school. Um, it's all uh, transfer students, so most of uh, uh, the parents who their children go to that school uh, work downtown, usually at the Capitol or City Hall um, in some capacity. Uh, <clears throat> and so they're a very engaged bunch, and what they really uh, appreciated about Pease was it's – proximity to their jobs. So uh, they say it allowed them to be more involved in the school community, uh, in their kids' lives, uh, instead of having to fight traffic going uh, north or south to different schools. So that's something that, um, you know, they're really going to miss, uh, even though the school that they'll be at least temporarily located at, uh, Zavala, which is just uh, east of 35, uh, it's really only about a mile or two further from Pease, but a lot of the parents I talked to uh, really pointed to the crosstown traffic as being a hindrance and 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 uh, posing a problem that um, uh, Pease helped alleviate. Mm -hmm. So the other three schools are all located on the east side, uh, and they all have a different uh, racial composition. Yeah, so, so Pease, despite, you know, the parents would really point to um, uh, its its uh, you know diverse demographic group, and it certainly is more diverse than some of the other West Side schools in the district. Uh, uh, but it's still a majority white school, whereas uh, Sims, Metz, and Brook um, are all at least ninety percent uh, composed of Black and Brown students, um, and ninety percent of the student enrollment is uh, considered economically disadvantaged. Uh, so that's really where uh, Dr. Holly's statements come from, uh, criticizing the plan as a uh, uh, a symbol of 21st century racism uh, because what she why she came to that conclusion is uh, she really acknowledged that uh, the district and the school board uh, has good intentions they certainly uh, are hoping to help the black and brown students in those schools um, uh, by Closing the older facilities, which the district has to spend more money on uh, uh, maintaining uh, the facilities, repairing the air conditioning or fixing the roof or whatever it may be, uh, and moving the students into modernized buildings, which have these uh, really cool uh, uh, classroom designs, which allow teachers to do kind of innovative approaches to, to, to learning. Um, and so the district really feels like they'll be giving these students greater opportunities. 
university uh, by moving them to those students. But uh, what Dr. Holly was alluding to is those good intentions um, may be masking uh, a greater harm by uh, disrupting the lives of these students and making them uh, switch schools, uh, decreasing their stability, uh, which you know just may be generally uh, less than some of their more privileged peers. Uh, so imposing that disproportionately on uh, these students uh, compared to, again, some of the more privileged students in the district, uh, she described as 21st century racism. Mm -hmm. Well, and also it's just, I mean, we're talking about communities there are that have already been devastated by gentrification, and it seems like this is just going to be further eroding a community. Yeah, exactly, which was another thing she said, the, that the district had the opportunity to disrupt history. Uh, and she's referencing, you know, Austin's legacy of, uh, um, you know, disproportionately uh, harming uh, east side communities uh, through city and school district policy. So she was really hoping that the district would uh, take a different approach uh, to rectifying some of those harms. And uh, in her you know, pretty blunt assessment, assessment, the plan that the school board approved will not do that. Mm -hmm. So I know that you, uh, you've been speaking to a lot of people on the board, you've been speaking to people at AISD, and you've been talking to a lot of parents. What's the general feeling? I mean, this is such an emotional, issue with someone I mean it's just it's a gnarly knotted issue how are people feeling after this meeting on Monday yeah I, I think with parents it's pretty clear anger and disappointment parents I've talked to and on uh social media, there's already calls of uh, uh, recruiting candidates to run against um, the trustees who are up for election in 2020 mm -hmm. uh, to, to, you know, run against them. Uh, there's talk of, of, you know, finding other means to get them out of office, uh, which seems less likely. These are unpaid positions too, right? I mean, this this just seems like a thankless job. To yeah, no staff, yeah. Uh, no compensation. Yeah. Uh, uh, they, they, yeah, the trustees don't mention that as often as I would think, but yeah, it's it's always worth noting that uh, they are really you know doing most of this work on their own. Uh, they certainly have active community members who help them make decisions, but yeah, it's not like a a, a city council member where you have a staff of four or five people um, in your office. Mm -hmm. Okay, well let's swivel from schools and go to police. Um, there's there's sort of a there's developing scandal developing investigation um, why don't you get us up to date on that yeah so um, this you know story also has to deal with with racism of a um, uh, more familiar sort I would think it's uh, an anonymous complaint uh, was filed um, uh, on October 30th that uh, suggested or alleges that uh, a former assistant APD chief, Justin Newsom, uh, regular, regularly used uh, the N-word. Uh, he referred to uh, a former city council member, Ora, Hus Ora Houston, uh, with that word, uh, uh, Barack Obama with that word, even a, uh, a former police chief uh, that he worked alongside, um, he referred to using that word. Um, and so that is troubling in itself, of course, but what is really causing concern um, uh, among activists and uh, city council members who are drawing attention to this issue um, is 
the uh, allegations in a separate complaint also filed on the 30th that uh, police chief Brian Manley knew about the allegations and waited to act on them. Um, A full, what, five weeks? Five weeks, yeah, that he knew. um, And Manley has said um, in other interviews that uh, uh, he knew there was a process in place and didn't want to interfere with that. Um, he, He had heard that the Office of the Police um, uh, uh, Oversight was looking at it um, and uh, wanted that process to unfold. Others have suggested that he wanted uh, uh, Justin Newsom, who had a two-plus decade year uh, career at uh, APD, uh, wanted to give him time to retire, uh, where he's been able to enjoy um, uh, cashing in on all of his uh, paid sick days and vacation days, mm-hmm. which amounted to over $100,000 that he was able to walk away with um, that really can be touched at this point. Sure. So in terms of the timeline, did the retirement go into effect after that anonymous complaint? Or do we know that information yet? Yeah, I think it may have been um, on the same day or around the same time. Um, uh, it was very an abrupt announcement. I believe it was on like a Friday mm-hmm. um, evening. Really took um, uh, uh, the media and community off guard because uh, prior to this, uh, Newsom was a really well-respected uh, member of the force. Several people have told me uh, that before the allegations came came out, he was looked to as sort of a model of what uh, a modern police department should look like uh, in, in a in a big city. Uh, He especially was respected for uh, his approach to homelessness. He was known as, uh, uh, you know, really paying attention to that community and trying to be sympathetic and working with uh, people living on the streets. So it really came uh, as a shock to a lot of the people uh, that that worked with him uh, that he, you know, that these allegations would be leveled against him. What was... um Austin Police Association's response mm-hmm. to this. Yeah, they were pretty quick to to call out the behavior and say that it was wrong, and they uh, fully support the third party investigation uh, that uh, City Manager Spence, Spencer Cronk uh, announced. He recently hired um, Lisa Tatum, a former uh, uh, Bear County District, Assistant District Attorney, to lead that investigation. Uh, and so the police association, the police union, they've been really supportive of this. Um, some uh, Activists and some are maybe a little skeptical of that support. Um, they see it really as targeted at uh, APD leadership, at Manley uh, um, and uh, uh, APD uh, uh, Chief of Staff Troy Gay, um, who also um, was mentioned in a complaint for um, uh, wanting to subject a uh, family member to conversion therapy, uh, which is this discredited practice that tries to basically convert um, uh, people in the LGBT community to be heterosexual or whatever it may be. Uh, and th- allegedly, Chief Manley supported um, uh, Chief Gay in that uh, endeavor. So um, <clears throat> the fear from activists is that um, you know, whatever the result of the investigation, the third party investigation is um, that, you know, if if a few scalps are taken, if leaders are uh, let go, whatever it may be, that it ends there. But um, uh, a lot of social justice activists want a deeper look into the culture of the department uh, to look at um, how widespread some of these uh, uh, bigoted views are uh, among even just uh, uh, beat cops and, and regular officers. So um, 
a group is calling on uh, city the city to do uh, several things, uh, but one of the, uh, or I guess two of the more prominent things is one um, would be uh, the city would do an audit of the social media accounts of all um, APD officers and leadership uh, to kind of look for evidence of uh, racial bias uh, that may impact racial bias in their personal lives that may impact the work that they do interacting uh, with all of Austin's uh, communities. Um, and so that kind of reflects the difference between where uh, uh, the union sits uh, and the activist community sits with the investigation. Um, when I've talked to Ken Cassidy, the uh, uh, president of the police union, um, he he has been more uh, uh not as supportive of that idea. I think he, what he had told me is he has nothing to fear for his officers. He's confident that um, there wouldn't be anything incriminating found in such an audit. Uh, but um, he doesn't use exactly the same language to call for it as, as the activists do. All right. Well, that is a lot to unpack, Austin. And I know you're going to keep on these beats for us. And uh, read, listeners can find your work in the Austin Chronicle. Thanks so much for coming in. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me again. Well, we're less than a week away from my favorite time of year, which is Thanksgiving. And while I am with you in body, dear listeners, in spirit, I am mentally making my shopping list and wondering if smoked Spanish paprika is too assertive a flavor for my turkey dry brine. But Thanksgiving isn't just about stuffing your face or spending time with your family. It's about spending time in the dark of a movie theater. Away from your family. (laughs) (laughs) And this is the time of the year when the movies get really good. So here to talk with me about what's in theaters now is the voice who's already chimed in, our screens editor, Richard Whitaker. Richard, thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure, Kim. Absolutely. I want to talk to you about what's in theaters now, what's opening on Thanksgiving Day, and what you can see from the comfort of your own home. Uh, if you don't want to actually talk to the family that you're spending time with on Thanksgiving. Which is the great thing about going to the theatre at Thanksgiving, is you can go, why don't we go do this as a family thing? And you're with them, but you don't have to say anything to any relatives (laughs) for two hours. It's phenomenal It is. It is indeed. So it's already started. uh, Friday. Lots of things have already opened. Um, And particularly, uh, you know, the the big one, obviously, that... uh, Tough luck, parents. You are probably going to have to take your kids to see Frozen 2, which I know you liked more than the first film. I liked it more than I thought I would. And I liked it for reasons that are intellectually interesting to me, but that might not translate into this is a pretty, pretty princess movie that little girls are going to... I mean, whatever. I'm the person who didn't think Let It Go was that great of a ditty. So I'm not sure I have the best uh, the best track record <laughs> with this one. But I will say Frozen 2, I think, hits a lot of... Uh, it's entertaining for kids. Parents are going to be mildly amused. It looks beautiful. It's pretty funny. But the thing that was so interesting to me, and I will try to say this without giving any spoilers away, is that it manages to uh, have a plot that you can find pretty readily allusions to atrocities in American history that will be especially relevant during this time of Thanksgiving. And without pushing an agenda it gives kids i think of a framework in the language to think about its analog to american history and that's a good thing right like we should challenge our kids yeah which actually brings me to this weekend's other big release uh which is a beautiful day in the neighborhood which is the uh basically the mr rogers biopic uh with tom hanks um as fred rogers and i will start off by saying 
Yes, he's phenomenal in the part. Uh, no, it's not just because he's Tom Hanks and he's lovely and <laughs> Mr. Rogers was lovely. This is a really incredible performance. But what's fascinating about the way the film is structured is it's not the lead role. He's basically a supporting character in... Um, this is based on an Esquire um, article uh, from 1997 uh, where they were talking about... They, they asked the writers to talk about heroes and he talked to Mr., the, the writer talked to Mr. Rogers and found he was a very complex figure. And one of the things that this film really does is how important Mr. Rogers was for kids who were growing up in complex circumstances. And it was okay to talk about things and to be upset about things and to you know, have bad things in your life. And it didn't define you. It was part of you. And it catches all of that so beautifully. But it also recreates the show wonderfully. So there's, there were quite a few... I could hear people not bothering to hold back sobs uh, during the screening <laughs> I was at. It's a rather wonderful film. Um, how does it How does it compare to, I mean, there was a documentary by Morgan Neville that just came out within the last few years. Won't you be my so neighbor? Powerful. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. And right. I'm still annoyed it didn't win the, uh, it didn't even get nominated. It didn't even get nominated. For the best, uh, the best documentary Oscar. Mm -hmm. This is a really great companion piece. Uh, okay. I think they, they, it doesn't make it redundant in any way. I think they sit beautifully together. And I think people will, will it, it's really unmissable. And it's very heartfelt and it's just beautifully done. It's by the same director uh, who did uh, Can You Ever Forgive Me? Uh, yes. The, uh, another true story uh, about a, a complicated character, but this kind of does the opposite. That was taking a complicated character who was quite unlikable and making you want to spend an hour in the, uh, two hours in the cinema with them. This is taking a complicated figure that people don't want to think is complicated. They just want to think that he was just a secular saint, but adding context and nuance and you feel you know him much better by the end and it's a really beautiful little piece of filmmaking mm -hmm. and that's uh, Marielle Heller is yes. the, the director a uh, couple other smaller movies indie films also opening today uh, both relating to family in very different ways <laughs> uh, Waves which is the new film from Trey Edward Schultz uh, which is a phenomenal depiction of a, a, an African American family in Florida um, falling apart and these questions of, of the tension of, of black excellence is an underlying thing of, of kids who are being forced to be so much better and then what happens when that falls apart. And that is a, it's a beautifully put together film. Um, it is a beast. It is emotionally bruising uh, in all the best ways. Um, but in that way that Trey, who also directed Krisha uh, and It Comes at Night, uh, Texas director, uh, that he, he can be emotionally brutal but it really takes you out the other side and you feel that you that there's a, a path mm -hmm. in everything and it really he really deals with this with themes of family and the complexity of family beautifully um a little bit more specific but uh, i think equally unmissable is uh, honey boy which is um hang on to your hats folks uh this is shia labeouf's very, very vaguely um, fictionalized autobiography of his time um, on the show Even Stevens, if you remember the Disney comedy series. But it's about his relationship with his father. And if you think that being a child celebrity was easy, he was basically a latchkey kid living in a trailer park in L.A. Um, Shia LaBeouf plays his own father. And it is a phenomenal performance. This is uh, Lucas Hedges, uh, who is also in a role, plays the older version of um, the central character, Otis, um, coming to terms with everything that was complex about his father. And this is a, 
Yes, it's a confessional. Yes, it's therapeutic. Yes, it's kind of self-indulgent by Shia LaBeouf. But what he does is create an amazing picture of what it is to be a child actor and to have a totally broken relationship with your parents, but still to love them and for them to have broken relationships. And it's it's nuanced and difficult and beautiful. And uh, yeah, if you, uh, if you feel like taking the family and, uh, and having a a definite conversation about your own relationships afterwards, then this is definitely a must-see. If you just want something a little bit lighter, uh, I think A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. <laughs> well, and to continue the dysfunctional family theme, once we get to actual Thanksgiving, I guess it's next, on Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving, we have a movie that I think we both um, were pretty delighted by. Absolutely adore. Knives Out. <laughs> yes. Ryan Johnson, um, who probably best known for making a little film called The Last Jedi. <laughs> yes. um, but we've been huge fans of his work since Brick, which was his high school noir. Right. Brothers Bloom. Brothers Bloom, Looper. Um, he made an old school murder mystery. And it's wonderful. And it's funny, I, I talked to him when it uh, played at Fantastic Fest. And he said it was actually one of his hardest films to get made. Because he went to the studio and went, I want to make this film. And it's just fun. And they went, just fun? Why would we want to make a film that's just fun? And it is an absolute scream. Uh, also, be prepared. Um, sweaters are going to make a huge comeback. Um, I'm sorry, did they go somewhere? Oh, they did. Um, <laughs> but they're going to make a huge comeback because of Chris Evans in the sweater, which is uh, uh, this this year's fashion crush, I'm reliably informed. Okay. <laughs> Didn't know we were smuggling fashion tips into the radio show today. Hey, but anybody great. who knows me knows I'm never going to be smuggling fashion tips or fashion <laughs> advice or, or daring to set into that. But it is everybody's been going on about Chris Evans and his sweaters ever since they saw the screening. I mean, it's it's a pretty good look. But so you mentioned Chris Evans, Captain America, obviously. But this murder mystery, Shades of Agatha Christie meets Clue, uh, also starring Christopher Plummer. Uh, help me out here. There are so many people. Michael Shannon, oh, uh, Daniel Craig Daniel is the most Craig delightful sporting, southern... Sporting a, a baffling foghorn leghorn oh my accent, gosh. which is such it's a deep, decision. Deep fried Poirot. <laughs> it's just... Ugh. <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis, just who's entered this wonderful phase of, of just being haughty in this role she's just the the ultimate desiccated aristocrat and she's so good in it yeah. this is just hilarious fun uh absolutely unmissable sure. uh, great commentary on class as well very subtly woven in there but it is just a wonderful wonderful film that i really hope just dominates the box office until we get to christmas because it deserves to absolutely and it's it's not too scary too if it's i don't know that it's it's not super young viewers but you know i think pg-13 probably oh absolutely yeah hey I mean, you're not a fan of horror and you you, you I, kind of loved it so. I loved it so okay so what else are there things on TV you want to recommend are there other movies and theaters, theaters you want to recommend well I mean obviously Parasite um, which again dysfunctional family meets Bong class warfare Bong Joon-ho who uh, it's going to be interesting to see when award season comes around because uh, it is South Korea's pick for best international film which is the former best foreign language Oscar category um I think it's got a real shot at uh, best film. Absolutely. Think, uh, so it depends how that goes. Yeah. The thing is just just glorious. Um, it, it's funny because there aren't actually many real Thanksgiving films. Um, and there's not many screenings of stuff this year or not much being on TV. Uh, I, I would always go for planes, trains, and automobiles, which sadly isn't showing. But if we're going to stick by the classics, I have to remind everybody that um, uh, a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving 
We'll, we'll be on ABC uh, next Wednesday uh, at 7 o'clock Central, and that's unmissable. Whereas they will be showing the next day, uh, they will be showing This is America, Charlie Brown, which is... Uh, not as in, not as essential, shall we say, <laughs> and a little bit retrograde in its politics. So uh, stick with um, uh, a Charlie Brown Christmas, uh, a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. I think that's yeah. the message for TV watching next week. I'm going to shout out my own personal favorite uh, Thanksgiving film, which I believe is totally it's streamable. It's Home for the Holidays. It's a it's an underrated Holly Hunter comedy that that I still find delightful and watch it every year. So unmissable. Yes. Richard, thank you so much for coming in. As always, my pleasure. We'll see you again soon. Two more bits before we make our goodbyes today. The Chronicle wants your feedback. We're currently conducting a reader survey of our print issue, and we want to know what you think, what you like, what you don't like, how you use the print newspaper, and what we can do better. You can fill that out all online at austinchronicle.com forward slash reader dash survey, or find a link on our homepage. We also want to know what you think of our radio show, so send us your feedback to radioshow at austinchronicle.com. Thanks to our guests today this week, Austin Sanders and Richard Whitaker. Thanks also go to our engineer, Evan Hearn, and to Kevin Curtin and Jonas Wilson, as ever, for writing our theme music.